Thank you for joining IAB There. And now your host, Angelina Ng. Over to you, Angelina. Thank you, John. Hi, today's July 29th. I'm Angelina Ng, VP of Measurement and Attribution here at the IAB and IAB Tech Lab. Uh, so welcome to our daily live stream in which we connect the digital advertising ecosystem. Today, our topic is on better and more measurement standards with my one of my favorite guests, John Nardone, CEO of Flash Talking. Uh, so let's welcome John. Hi, Hi Angelina. Thanks so much for having me today. Well, thank you. Um, uh, you know, Flash Talking, uh, if you can, you know, for the crowd, give a little bit of background of what Flash Talking is and your role, uh, that would be great. Sure, sure. Um, so Flash Talking is a client-side ad-serving platform. Um, we're the last um, ad-serving platform of, of any scale left in the world that's completely media independent, meaning we're not tied to a DSP or a media buying platform. And that lets us really focus on measurement as a core competency um, because we're divorced from that buying decision and clients therefore can trust our, that our data is objective and unbiased. Um, we're probably best known for our creative personalization platform. So um, we're, we're pretty good at using data, whether it's using it to uh, personalize the creative message or using it for attribution and, and for MTA. Um, you know, that, that's, that's sort of what Flash Talking is all about. Oh, that's awesome. Um, as you know, I came from AdOps and uh, ad serving was my world. And yes. I think that, <laughs> and I think that uh, what's important about ad serving is that it's been, often been the uh, source of truth for, especially for the brand side. And when it comes to reconciliation with publishers, they are looking at the ad server data compared to the publisher data, um, and oftentimes, you know, uh, trying to rely on the ad, uh, the client's ad server data is is really where where the buyers feel most comfortable with. Um, so. I, you know, we've been talking about uh, here at the IED about the cookie-less measurement and the loss of identifiers. How do you see currently uh, how, how is measurement going to be impacted within within flash talking? Are you going to do you think that there'll be some significant changes? Well, you know, thanks thanks for asking that, Angelina. You know, flash talking is is probably got one of the largest cookie-less um, uh, platforms in the industry, probably second to LiveRamp. Uh, we have 150 clients around the world that use our F-Track cookie-less uh, tracking platform. So um, the the loss of cookies um, isn't going to meaningfully impact our ability to give clients accurate reach, frequency, and attribution um, for their media. Um, as it is, F-Track gives clients a, a, a much more accurate view of what's going on with their media than they can get from cookies anyway. Um, as, as we know, cookies are um, not universe, third party cookies are not universally available and, and are already deprecated on the Apple uh, uh, properties and so forth. Um, and because of the way third party cookies uh, appear as a new cookie every time um, you encounter that user in places where third party cookies are disabled, essentially the, the data is very, very distorted. So F-Track solves for that as well as being able to provide uh, visibility into places that don't take cookies at all, like connected television. And, and so, you know, with, 
with Apple's announcement around iOS 14 and the removal of IDFA and the impact that it has on apps, are you saying that with F-Track, you're, you kind of have, you know, that, that hasn't really impacted a lot of the, the, the stats that you're seeing? That, that, that's exactly right. So, um, you know, Apple, so we don't rely on maids. So that's not part of, that's not part of the platform. So um, we have pretty good visibility into uh, most app environments anyway. Um, and none of the changes that Apple's made um, over the last few years has had any meaningful impact uh, into F-Track. Um, you know, we're, we're in, a, in a very advantageous position to provide that kind of a service because as the world's second largest ad server, um, we deliver, you know, on average about 4 billion ads a day. So that gives us lots of points of data and lots of times of seeing the individual devices of users um, to be able to triangulate the uniqueness of that device um, through our algorithm. And because we have um, pixels on client sites across the industry where we're pulling in the data from the client's first party cookie, um, that gives us a very, very strong truth set of stable first party cookies um, on which to benchmark and train the algorithm. So um, it's been incredibly resilient to the changes in the industry and is still regularly over 95% accurate. Now, one of your major competitors is obviously Google with Campaign Manager. Um, yeah. What, uh, what, are th what, are, what are some of the things that you tell clients about your platform and, and, and how it benefits them? And what are the, what are the differences that you provide? Yeah, well, so the first thing is, you know, you you can't compete with Google um, by being, you know, almost as good or kind of like it, but a little different, right? It, it, you have to have some meaningful points of difference, and and so there are a few things that that we we promise clients. Um, the first is they own all the data, so that's a big thing. So uh, Flash Talking's position is all of the data that accrues from the interactions in a client's campaign belongs to the client. So they get it, they get that data with the granular identifiers and so forth. Um, second thing is we have built very strong data competencies on top of that. And what a lot of clients who use us for primary ad server take advantage of is what we call ID Connect. And that ID Connect stitches data together at the impression and the user level across the client's ad tech stack. So, so you can imagine a client who's choosing to use flash talking probably is using other independents. So we have a lot of overlap with the trade desk and media map, for example. Um, we have clients who use Newstar a lot. Um, a lot of our clients use Adobe as their website uh, analytics. Um, so all of those, of course, have their own cookie and ID spaces. And what ID Connect does is stitch that all together in the log file so that the client knows that user XYZ in flash talking is the same as user ABC in Adobe is the same as, you know, user whatever in the next one. And they get one integrated data set. And for clients who are taking on their own analytics, that's incredibly valuable to them because they can do real customer journey analysis in a, in a very coherent way. Uh, next big thing that we promise clients versus Google is we can actually simplify their media. Um, we had uh, a client, and, and we can talk about this because um, Bear has allowed us to do a case study. Uh, we took on Bear Consumer Products this year for primary ad serving, and we reduced their number of managed line items um, from 2,700 in Google to 430 in Flash Talking. 
Um, and so, it, especially for a client like a Bayer who's taking things in house and doesn't have an agency to manage it for them, reducing the number of line items to that extent just makes their life so much easier um, in terms of the amount of time and complexity that they have to manage. And, and then finally, the fourth now, big one is, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I'll ask later. Um, the, the, the last piece is um, we really pride, pride ourselves on customer service and have a really well-developed frontline customer um, support organization. Um, and so clients who work with Flash Talking are, support, are supported by human beings who really care about their success. And that manifests itself in so many ways in terms of helping them with best practices, giving them advice on how to set up their campaigns for the best effect, being there to troubleshoot with them um, and so forth. And those are just, you know, that's support that's just not available from Google. Yeah, I found that one of the things that uh, really helped me because um, we, we worked together a few times is, is, is getting that level of uh, customer support. But the other thing is, uh, especially from the support side, is really trying to understand how um, how the systems need to be structured and the hierarchy of them. Um, I, yes. I find oftentimes that a lot of bad ops people or, or brands kind of set up campaigns and not reevaluate how their platforms, act, how their system should actually be set up. And, and um, I think those that's one of the things that you know you you guys you, you've helped us out um, when I was on the other side. Well, it, it's a real challenge. You know, a lot of work goes into getting a campaign set up. And particularly when you're working with an ad server that's separate from your DSP, you've got to get those things to sync. And so then if you want to change things, you're changing them in two systems. And, and that becomes daunting. So people then put that off and their structure, their campaigns sometimes outgrow or change over time, but they're reluctant to change the structure. Um, and, and obviously that's suboptimal. Um, We've really worked very hard to, to address that um, with API level integrations. And um, we've, we've launched, we launched earlier this year an API level integration with the Trade Desk that allows you to push um, line items, if you will, or placements from Flash Talking programmatically into the Trade Desk. So you don't have to do double work and maintain two separate things. The systems talk to each other and, and handle that. Um, so that frees you up a little bit to say, oh, well, if I change something, I don't have to worry about changing in two places. I can just push those changes forward and they'll populate in the other system. Yeah, I think that's really important, especially having that kind of one-to-one -one where, you know, uh, the way that tags are set up in an ad server doesn't oftentimes translate when you have uh, a programmatic team implementing. So having that one-to-one -one really helps with aligning the data uh, better and getting better insights or with, I know, I know that one challenge that we've had a lot was around taxonomy. Um, a lot of brands have their own taxonomy, a lot of agencies have their own taxonomy, and oftentimes the, the string is, is over 300 characters long. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so a lot of, you know, anytime anything goes wrong, there's a lot of human error, um, and yeah. having to correct that information has, has always been. Are you guys solving for that? We, we, we have. Um, so so there's, there's a couple of things. So we have a, a concept uh, called data labels um, where you don't have to rely just on this string in the placement name. Um, you can actually put attach metadata 
um, to it. And you can search and, and do all kinds of things based on the metadata that you set up, which gives you a lot more flexibility. Um, and you can put multiple labels on a placement or a piece of creative so that you can search against them. Um, so that's that's one way to just give you a lot more flexibility and make your life easier. Um, the other thing is is recognizing that, you know, you've got all of these different entities, you know, you've got your media buying guys, you've got your analytics guys, but you also have creative to deal with. Um, and so we've uh, got this uh, concept called concepts. Um, so Got to be a better way to say that. Um, uh, the concept, uh, the, the entity of a concept in flash talking is a logical grouping of creatives. So think uh, a creative idea or creative concept that's executed in seven different sizes. Um, they get grouped as a concept, and now that concept has a name, and you can report against that um, regardless of where it's placed. So you're no longer having to figure out the individual pieces of creative and making sure that they're named appropriately because that grouping of, of shared uh, uh, creative concept has one name, and you can report on and manipulate that in the ad server. So that that's another way that it simplifies it, but but to doesn't tie you to trying to get a common taxonomy across all the different pieces of creative because um, you can kind of group them together. And that, that extends, by the way, um, into social as well. So if you build a concept, you can include in that your social versions of that messaging. And so then when you report out and you want to see how that creative idea is performing, um, you can see it in, in your Facebook data, the same as you see it in your open web data and know that that's the same offer or creative idea. Well, you know, that leads me into my next question, which is around video. Um, and, yes. uh, and, and, you know, this idea of universal ad ID, and I'm assuming that then your platform supports that. What do you see some of the challenges yep. with, with being able to, you know, have some standard video measurements or at the labeling and, and classifications of that? Well, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, video is is kind of newer um, in, in our ecosystem, right? Um, you know, because of the, the nature of, of the XML tag, we can't do a lot. We can't use JavaScript and a lot of tools that we can use for display ads to gather data. And so we become pretty limited. Um, we're, we're all waiting, you know, for OMID. Um, and hoping that that will will provide a, a, a means to solve for some of the data the data pieces, but you also have a ton of fragmentation that that you're trying to to manage. Video gets delivered in the open web. It also gets delivered in YouTube, which is you know no longer accessible as part of the open web. You've got a lot of video delivered in Facebook, and it it becomes more and more of a challenge for clients to manage all of the different versions of video and get them out and traffic to the places where they need to go with all of the right transcodes attached to it. And, and I think this is, it's particularly um, painful within Google where it's almost as if Google assumes the only place you wanna run video is on, on YouTube and kind of makes it hard and cumbersome to run video other places. Um, so we've worked really hard to solve that um, and make it simpler. Um, so we maintain a database of, of all of the, the encode specs for every publisher and every DSP. And when a media plan comes in, it automatically references those and we automatically build all the transcodes and, and build those transcodes into every tag. And that process is completely automated. You as the user don't need to know anything about um, 
the, the specs for any of those sites and it just happens automatically. So that takes a lot of the manual effort out of uh, the whole trafficking process um, and just gives you a lot more time and attention to think about measurement um, if, if you're not uh, just struggling just to get the campaign out the door all the time. And it minimizes the back and forth between the publisher and the buyer, right? Because That's I right. remember having to check a video all the time and, and getting that email when the campaign needed to launch, you know, two hours ago that, hey, the transcoding and the, or, and the setup on the back end needs to be readjusted before it gets approved and launched. So that, that's, that sounds great. Now, with, with video, one of, the, one of the things that you and I are passionate about is Fast 4. Um, yes. And love to hear from your perspective of, you know, have you seen a lot of adoptions for Fast 4? Because a lot of that can be answered, right, solved with, with if publishers were on Fast 4. Yeah, un unfortunately, we've not seen a lot of publisher adoption of VAS4 and, and above. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I can understand why publishers have been a little slow to adopt because there are still elements that are not quite where we all want them to be. Um, and, and publishers, of course, are always under the gun. And th these are sometimes heavy lifts for them. But boy, I just encourage all the publishers, all the, you got to get with this. It, it's, the, there's so many advantages um, to to Vast4 for the end users in terms of the measurement, but as well as overcoming some of the data signal problems for SSAI. Um, in in Vast4, the ability for, for us as the ad server to get the signals back um, related to the user agent um, allow us to do personalization in, in a much easier way for video um, and give the client so much more value. We have all this research that says dynamically delivered video is up to seven times more effective than standard video. And yet for a lot of publishers relying on SSAI today without VAST4, there's not an easy way for us to get the data signals to be able to personalize the video. Um, so, you know, we really encourage our clients um, to focus their media plans on where we can execute personalization in video because their dollars just work so much harder there. Um, and so publishers need to really catch up in that area because they're, they're, they will lose out eventually as big clients shift dollars to the places um, that, that adopt the new standards and give them more capability. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I think, you know, and, uh, are you seeing, I guess publishers are probably uh, mostly on VAST 2, some have adopted VAST 3, many have not yeah. uh, adopted VAST 3 so I think one of the one of the big things is that for those that have have modified their platforms to use VAST two but modified it to be VAST four like is that a is that a good workaround or solution? Um, I, to some extent, yeah. I, I'll tell you, I'm not deeply technical in terms of how people have done those those modifications. There there are a bunch of of different things publishers are trying to enable first on their list is the verification guys, right? If a publisher can enable mode double verify um, or, or, or IAS to function, they're really going to be hurt there. So they've tended to, to their, their primary focus in modifying the early VAST standards is, in, is to put the hooks in for the verification guys. So check, you got to do that as, as a minimum, um, but that hasn't helped for things like personalization 
for the advanced measurement because um, you know you've got, for example, in for the publishers that are using SSAI, um, we don't actually serve a lot of the ads. We push the ad into the publisher's environment, but then the nature of the server-side insertion is we lose track of that. And so then if the data is not coming back to us, we can't be sure that the impressions are, are actually delivered. It's almost like we're cut off from the ad serving data. So um, the modifications most clients have publishers have done doesn't solve for that today. And even in the MRC now, the MRC ha has introduced another column um, in the data where we have to call that data undetermined. We can't verify it. Um, and, and obviously that's an increasing problem for clients. When SSAI was, um, you know, uh, not a, a typical um, thing, and it was a small percentage of traffic, uh, people didn't get too upset. But as, as more and more publishers have adopted it, largely to thwart um, ad blockers, now all of a sudden we see campaigns where 60% of the traffic is unverified. And, and obviously that doesn't make anybody very happy. Yeah, I, I think, you know, what, I think both buy side and, and, and publishers need to kind of embrace fast four. And in order for publishers to do so, we need the buy side to advocate for it and put some pressure on those publishers. I'm sure there's there's many reasons behind it, some political, some of it financial. I think that hopefully we can get to a point uh, where we're going to see huge fast forward adoption. So cross our fingers. Um, you know, I, I think that too. Personally, I think 2021 is going to be the year, and I think the rise of OTT is going to stimulate that, is going to force, um, is, is going to uh, have advertisers putting much more focus because they're going to see more and more dollars shifting from linear TV into digital video. And, and so there's going to be a lot more attention and advertisers are going to be starting to push for more answers and better data. And, and the answer to a lot of those is going to be okay. Implement fast four. That's going to be the way you're going to get there. Great. Now, um, another question that I've been passionate about is um, obviously flash talking is an ad tech solution, but many brands uh, have rely on their martech solutions, like their uh, analytics platform. What have you done yeah. to help clients bridge the gap? Because from, uh, from the from the buyer's perspective, they want to see holistically all their initiatives. What, what's the impact? And uh, I've seen in the past where the, the ad tech stats are very different from the analytics platform. Um, so what, yeah. what are, what's Flash Talking doing in, in terms of helping clients do that? So, so, so there are a number of things, uh, ways that we've helped clients in that regard, but it all comes back to that ability to make the data available and to stitch the data together with the other ad tech platforms. So um, we, we have uh, a partnership with Adobe, for example, where um, we have integrated with Adobe Audience Manager and we can push our log files um, right into Audience Manager programmatically. And then Audience Manager is able to sync up the data from, from Adobe Analytics and, and so forth and bring it all together in their environment. So that's one way with Adobe, we've also integrated into the Adobe Tag Manager so that you can synchronize the data at the point of the spot fire. Um, and Adobe can actually implement our pixels through Adobe uh, 
the Adobe Tag Management. So there are a bunch of implementation things, but it always comes back to synchronizing the data. How do you bring that data together in a way that you have an integrated data set? And um, you know, we have one client um, that we work with that uses the Trade Desk as its primary DSP, um, but it's not their they don't always use the DSP. They still do a lot of direct publisher deals in different points around the world. And so we've worked with them to be able to implement the trade desk ID through flash talking, even when the trade desk isn't the buying platform. And stitching that together with the flash talking ID, they have a common data set then that they can implement across their whole platform and they can you know, stitch that into the rest of their data for their internal analytics team. So we're coming up with clever solutions like that, leveraging the APIs and leveraging the ID Connect capability to stitch data and helping the client essentially create that integrated data set that bridges their ad tech and their MarTech. So it, 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 it definitely sounds like uh, having a, a stitching mechanism between all these different platforms is the key to improving, you know, the analytics and, and performance and optimization. Um, what other projects are you guys up to? Anything new that we should be aware of? Yeah, so, so we're, we're really excited. I can't say who it is because they're not ready to announce yet, but we are working with a, a major global uh, gaming platform um, and about to launch the world's first completely cookie-less um, buying and, and serving environment. It's completely based on first party data. Um, so that's that's one of the neat capabilities that Flash Talking developed a few years ago, frankly, before even the thought of cookies going away was on the radar is to be able to implement ad serving in the client's first party. Um, and you think with you know cross the cross domain cookie restrictions that that doesn't necessarily provide so much value except when the client has a really strong first party data footprint of their own. And then all of a sudden some really magical things happen. So uh, we've rolled out with this client and we're in the process of bringing that idea to several other big global clients that own their own first party data footprint and allow them to be completely independent of the Google ecosystem. Um, so we're really excited about that. We think that's got um, it's the kind of uh, opportunity that is not available to everyone because you got to have that first party data footprint. But if you do, um, it's it's a really huge advantage to completely own your data and be invisible to Google, essentially, because a lot of people are increasingly concerned that Google is competing with them. If you're in the video game business, Google has Stadia. If you're a travel aggregator, Google Google's competing with you. You kind of go down all these industries and the Google's reach has gotten to the point where they're in all kinds of different businesses. And, and, you know, if you run the Google platform, they own all your data. So, so clients are becoming more and more sensitive to that and looking for an alternative. Um, and the first party ad serving platform is a pretty neat way to address that. So if, if you're a brand that currently doesn't have a lot of first party data, what, what advice do you have for them? Well, it depends on what the basis of their concern is. If it's just about, well, I want to own my data, well, that's pretty easy. Um, you know, you put together an independent uh, ad tech stack with flash talking and, and one of the independent DSPs, and you're going to be able to own your data. And that's that's pretty straightforward. If you want to be invisible um, or minimize uh, uh, Google's footprint or visibility to what you do, and that's a little more challenging because 
as I always say, in the ad tech business, Google is like the air we breathe, where it's all around us, and it's much, much harder for clients to, to sort of not uh, allow Google to see what they're doing. But there are clients who are minimizing their footprint. Uh, we work with a big CPG client, you know, who said, you know, we just don't believe that it's in our interest for Google to have too much information about what we're doing. And we can never get away from them entirely, but we can minimize the footprint and and keep the data to ourselves. Um, and, uh, you know, that's for, for the big CPG companies, that's a concern with Amazon as well. They go, well, you know, we don't want Amazon to have too much of our data. We want to work with them as a platform and as, as, a, as a retail provider, but they don't need to see everything we're doing and, and see who our customers are, right? Um, so that need to be able to have uh, not just own the data, but control its distribution, um, that's something that, you know, flash talking can really help with because that, that's fundamental to be being an ad server that's not in the media game. Um, we get to go and connect into these platforms uh, but we can restrict the data. Well, um, we're out of time. I oh, thank you very much for for joining us. This was a, a great conversation, and uh, uh, I'd love to continue uh, this at another time. So I really appreciate uh, spending the time. Oh no, thank you for giving giving me the opportunity, Angela. This, Angelina, this was great. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, All right. So. See you soon. Bye. Thank you. So, did you know that I Do There is now a podcast? Well, you can now listen to our whole archive wherever you get your podcasts. And it's not just IAB There on Tuesdays. Our IAB Policy Podcast features experts discussing the legal and regulatory developments changing the industry. On Wednesday, uh, IAB's leaders discuss what's urgent in digital advertising on IAB Real. Go to IAB.com backslash podcast to get everything you need. On next Tuesday's IB There, we are excited to welcome Luke Stillman, SVP Digital Intelligence at Magda Global, and he'll be sitting down with IAB President David Cohen. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Haley, Joe Ants, John Ward, Harry Villanueva, and Tofika Mokinadin. I'm Angelina Eng. Thanks for watching. Come back next Tuesday before it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday. You know, it's time to IB There. Thanks a lot, folks.